Hello, FCBC Walnut family and friends. It is with great excitement that I share with you this morning that we are beginning a brand new sermon series in the book of Ezra. This is a book that is so fitting for our times and so fitting for our church because it speaks of God working amongst his people after a season of exile to bring them back home to use their hands to build something for his glory, but to also work in their hearts with his word and with his spirit so that they would continue to seek him and depend on him and continue to have their hearts be formed by a fear, but also a deeper love for him. Before we begin, I want to share a few announcements that can be found in your digital bulletin. Number one, we are excited to host the Red Cross Blood Drive at our church on May 27th. We are still taking registration, so if you click on the website and you put in FCBC in the code, then you'll be able to find this blood drive. Please register. We are aiming for 35, but we know that with all the people that we have, there are many of you that can give so that we can be a blessing to the community. Along the way, our COVID-19 relief team is still serving you in our midst, and if you want to donate or give, or if you have needs, please email relief at fcbcwalnut.org. I'm also glad to announce that we have officially begun a reopening task force in our church to evaluate and consider how we can take the steps and plan and to create the phases that are necessary for our church to work alongside the government, its regulations, but also alongside of you and your readiness and preparedness for us to become a church gathered again. Please be in prayer for them and please continue to be in prayer for how God will lead us. Finally, after this service is over, I would like for you to click on the link in your congregational email that refers to a special announcement. Pastor Albert has something to share with us about Pastor Gary, so please go to the email and click there after today's service so that you're able to hear what is happening in our church. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for the opportunity, God, for us to gather together in this way. We know, Lord, that we are in a season of being the church scattered, but we also know, Father, that you're always drawing your people, Lord, to shape our hearts and minds through the preaching of your word and its application in our homes and in our groups. So, Father, we pray that you continue to lead us. We ask you in particular, God, right now, Father, for your favor and for your wisdom for our reopening task force. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this team of men and women, and we ask... God, that you would be with them, Lord, that you would give them the insight, that you would provide them with the resources, that you would give them the unity, and you would also give them the openness to be able to share on the various perspectives that they carry, God, on how we can make plans to reopen again. We ask you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to work among them mightily to provide unity of heart, and also for us, Father, to be supporting them and also rooting for them because they are representing our church. Heavenly Father, we also want to pray, Lord, for the blood drive that is coming, as well as for the needs of our congregation and our community, Lord, during this COVID-19 crisis. We pray, Lord, that for those of us, Lord, that who are able to give and support in however ways, God, that we can, that you would use us and that you would bless us, Lord, so there could be a blessing. But we also pray that you provide for our needs, whether it is health, whether it is our finances, whether it is our relationships, Lord, that you would bring about reconciliation and that you would bring about restoration from brokenness. Lord, that you would provide for our needs, God, even as we depend even in greater measure upon you to sustain and to carry us as we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ.
Finally, we want to pray, Lord, for this sermon series that is beginning today. We thank you, Father, for giving us this direction. And we ask, God, that you would speak through Pastor Albert, Lord, as he kicks off this series for us. And, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would give us that soft heart to receive the teaching from your word as we begin to see how you worked in the exilic people returning to their homeland, Father, so that you can prepare us, Lord, to do the same as we go from being a church scattered to becoming a church gathered once again. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Today we shall begin a new preaching series on the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra is kind of little known to us because it is often eclipsed by the book of Nehemiah, which receives a lot more attention. But why preach Ezra in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic? See, Ezra records the rebuilding of the temple and how the Israelites also experienced a spiritual rebuilding as the people of God. So preaching Ezra today is to call our congregation to spiritual revival when we slowly emerged from the COVID-19 crisis to rebuild our lives. And the message today is very clear, that the sovereign God moves and shapes history according to His will. And He invites you to embark on the journey of fulfilling God's will in your life as well. Now let's look at a historical sketch of how these events are connected that will be very helpful as we come into the study of the book of Ezra. If you look at the map here, uh, looking at the arrow, after the captivity for 70 years, they begin to return. Three returns. The first return was led by Zerubbabel for the rebuilding of the temple. And that was recorded in Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 1 to chapter 6. For almost 20 years, they did that. And why 20 years? Because of opposition from the enemies. And God raised up Haggai and Zechariah to teach them, to inspire them, to restart the work, and it was completed in 515. And then the second way will be Ezra began to bring the people to spiritual revival, to the life of holiness, in, recorded in Ezra chapter 7 to chapter 10. You know, as we read Ezra, we feel that things just move along all the way from chapter 1 to chapter 10. But actually, there was a gap of almost 60 years between Ezra 1 to 6 to Ezra 7 to 10. And for that 60 years, you know what happened? The story of Esther. The, the Jews who live in Persia Empire almost experienced an ethnic cleansing, a scheme by a powerful man in a palace called Haman. But God destroyed that plan and save his remnants and save his people. So for that 60 years, Esther's story happened during then. Then Ezra came in to revive the people, to reform the people, and to prepare them for a life of holiness. And then there's another gap of 12 years before Nehemiah will initiate the third return from exile to rebuild the wall. So that's the historical sketch of a simple uh, sequence of what happened throughout those years. And today, we will focus on Zerubbabel as God moved him to rebuild the temple of God, beginning in Ezra chapter 1. And remember, Ezra is a continuation. Ezra is a continuation of Second Chronicle. 
towards the end of Second Chronicle in chapter 36, verses 22 and 23, even as you read that passage, it sounds almost exactly the same as we begin the reading of Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and all the way down to the whole chapter. So let's read together Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 in your respective home. Join me together in reading God's word. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdom of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that, uh, that was freely offered. And Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought this out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, a thousand basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a thousand other vessels. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All this did Sheshbazzar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. You know, as we read the whole chapter of Ezra, we can see the hands of God shaping and moving the history Events of history for his purpose and for his will. Now, first of all, let's look at the first point. The sovereign God stirs up King Cyrus in verses 1 and 4. God is setting up the stage for war events to fall right into his plan. And it begins with the perfect timing for the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecies. See, verse 1 says that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. See, Jeremiah prophesied almost a hundred years before Ezra uh, in chapter 25, Jeremiah verses 11 and 12. He says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and this nation shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And he follow up in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, as he continues. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this land. It is a perfect time to, to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. But you know what? It is also a perfect time for King Cyrus to emerge on the world stage to prepare for the return of the exile. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, at the very beginning of the Persian kingdom, King Cyrus was stirred by God to move in such a way that the people can be released, can be freed from exile and return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And remember, Persia is one of the greatest empires of the world. His domain stretched from Turkey to India. And yet Cyrus is but a tool used by God to display his sovereignty. And remember in 722 BC, the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom and with the ten tribes, they were taken into captivity. And the remaining two tribes of Benjamin and Judah in the southern kingdom, they survived for another 150 years. But they continued to fall in sin, they continued to disobey God, and they were destroyed by the Babylonians in 605 BC. And in the subsequent two more invasions, altogether three invasions, the nation of Israel was totally wiped out. The Assyrians and the Babylonians subdued their subjects by brain drain. They deported the brightest from the homeland into the, the Gentiles' uh, capitals uh, and so that they will minimize the threat of any revolution in those conquered places. When there is no competent leadership, there is no rebellion. But the Persians did it differently. They gave limited autonomy to the subjects to appease them. Let them preserve their lifestyle, preserve their culture, and preserve their religion, as long as they submit to the Persian appointed officials and pay tribute in a timely manner. See, King Cyrus was raised and be put on the war stage to activate the return of the Israelites in exile. Brothers and sisters, this is the movement of God. See, to most people, when they look at this political maneuver, they say, well, it is only a political move to control people. But to us, as God's people, seeing the hand of God moving, we are saying, it is God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 28, Isaiah prophesies even longer before, 200 years before the time of Ezra, he said, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And again in Isaiah 45, verse 13, the prophet Isaiah says again, I have stirred him up in righteousness. Who is that? It's Cyrus. God says, I will stir King Cyrus up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. You see, God stirs up King Cyrus 
so that so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdoms and also put it in writing. It is God's doing. And in verse 2 says, you know, the Lord, the God of heavens has given me all the kingdom of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is Judah. You know, King Cyrus acknowledges that it is God who is charging him in initiating, in, in factoring in the whole process of the return of the exiles. And in verse 3 and 4, he begins to encourage the people to move and say, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, which is the God who is in Jerusalem. And not only that, he also encouraged the neighbors to provide resources for them to bring back to Jerusalem to start the whole rebuilding process. Verse 4 says, And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, and besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. It is amazing to see that there is so much resemblance of this return with, as compared to the Exodus story. See, in the first Exodus, they received a lot of gifts from the Egyptians who can't wait to see them go because the whole land of Egypt had gone through ten plagues. That was a punishment. That was a discipline by God to free his people from slavery. And now again, it is like a second Exodus that the people are free from a land of Persian Empire to be allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but with many, many gifts from neighbors and the Babylonians, pagans, to allow them to travel that journey to bring all this back to Jerusalem. And you will think that while well, King Cyrus must be Yahweh worshiper, he must have worshipped Jehovah, God, but he's not a Yahweh worshiper. He's a polytheist. He believes in many gods as long as the God is nice to him, as long as the God provides and protects him. He'll be okay to worship many, many gods. And in the book of Isaiah 45, verses 4 to 5, it says clearly the word that says from the Lord to Cyrus. He says, For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by, my, by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. And again in verse 5, it says, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. See, Isaiah clearly reminds us that even though King Cyrus appears to be speaking on behalf of God, activating, initiating all these possibilities, but he doesn't know God. He was only maneuvering his political plan to control all the subjects in different provinces in a conquered territory. But his plan falls into the hand of God to be used by God to fulfill his promise for his people to return to Jerusalem. You know, behind all this happening, it is God who moves the course of history for his purpose. God is sovereign. He is the Lord of history. There is no unexpected happenings or accidents for God. He knows, he acts, he steers the event of the world to move according to his will. 
And brothers and sisters, today, God is moving in an amazing way. The COVID-19 pandemic is taking all of us hostages. We are like the exiles in captivity, waiting to return to normalcy of life. And we wonder, when will it happen? The sovereignty of God stirs up King Cyrus. But secondly, I want to share with you, the sovereignty of God stirs up the people of God. See, that's the whole purpose. The reason God stirs up King Cyrus is so that through the hands of King Cyrus, the people of God will be stirred up and respond and go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. The temple basically means to rebuild their life of worship, worshiping Yahweh, the Creator, the only God. That's the main purpose. And if the people do not respond to the stirring, then the stirring of King Cyrus will be will be meaningless, will be in vain. And in verse 5, says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and everyone whose spirit of God has stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. It is so comforting to see the people of God finally listen. After 70 years in captivity, they are ready to listen. A group of them says, yes, we will go. And they respond to the stirring. First stirring in King Cyrus, now stirring in people's heart for them to come back, to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And verse 6 tells us that, and all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold and with goods, with beasts and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Who are these people? Of course, many of them are the Babylonian Gentiles who were moved by the king to give generously to their neighbors, the Israelites who are able to return and to rebuild the temple. But remember, among them, among them, there were also many Israelites who chose to stay in Babylon. They refuse to go back. See, it has been 70 years. Many have learned to live with a new normal. It has been two generations. Many have rebuilt homes and raised children. You know what? It takes a lot more to start all over again. Many chose to stay, but they gave generously substance, resources for those who choose to go back to be able to rebuild the temple. And I wonder, in our COVID-19 shelter-in-place order, how many of you feel the stirring of God? God stirred King Cyrus. God stirred His people. Is God stirring you as well? You see, God stirred up the macro environment to get our attention, to align us with His will. But you know what happened? After eight weeks, nine weeks, and once we settle we become distracted again. The hunger and thirst for God is winning. We become restless again, looking for actions and excitement because we get bored. Is that where you are today? The sovereign God is stirring you today and stirring us today to be aligned with His purpose and to do His will. And thirdly, as we move to verses 7 to 11, the sovereignty God stirs up King Cyrus again. Well, not again, but it's a continuation of God's stirring of King Cyrus. 
to cause King Cyrus to give back the temple vessel. You see, it is a common practice for the kings of those ancient times to display the God of the defeated nations as a show of dominance and triumph over them. But the Israel God has no image. So they only take the temple vessel and lock them away as a show of dominance and triumph over. But what is God's is God's. The temple vessels will be returned as God promised when they rebuild the temple and the worship will begin again. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 27, verses 21 to 22, again prophesies almost a hundred years before the time of Ezra. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. You see, Jeremiah prophesies that it will all be returned to serve the temple of God and restart the worship of God in the land of Jerusalem. As we read the descriptions of all the vessels, there's a total of 5,400 pieces. But when it was listed item by item, it only counted as 2,499 pieces. And what is the discrepancy here? Well, perhaps only the significant ones are counted. The rest are not counted. So actually, it totaled 5,400. And the person emerged. It says, all this did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Who is Sheshbazar? Well, most scholars believe that um, it is Ezra's uncle, based on First, first Chronicle chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. So the Bible addresses him as Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. He has a royal blood, and he is one of the leaders together with Jerubbabel that initiated the rebuilding of the temple of God. And together, they brought all these people to go back to rebuild. You know, as we expound on the chapter 1 of Ezra, as we read through the whole events and the narratives, we can actually see that even though the actions are done by King Cyrus, even though the people are responding uh, it is a lot of movements of people and calling out and responses of people. But behind this, it is the hand of God. It is a sovereign God. It is a sovereign God who moves and shapes history according to His will. And today, He invites you and me to embark on a journey of fulfilling God's will in your life and in my life. And I believe that's the message the Lord is imparting in my heart for you today as a senior pastor. That the sovereign God moves and shapes history. And He's moving the history in an amazing way today through COVID-19. Everybody is touched by COVID-19 in a good way or a bad way. And according to His will, it's nothing out of God's will. God allowed these things to happen. And you know what? He invites you to embark on the journey of fulfilling God's will in your life and in my life. There is a purpose for that. 
and today as we look at this COVID-19 pandemic, and as we slowly emerge from there, and when there's more and more talking about reopening and how we can slowly come back depending on the stages of opening up. And even our church uh, is assembly a team of reopening task force and begin to look at the process, look at the faces, look at the details, the protocols, as we begin to wait for the right time and wait for the right policy to allow us to come back to this place, our map here, to worship God together. What will happen to us? How do we journey with God to fulfill God's purpose in our lives today? What does it mean for us as a church? In applications, I'm going to share two pointers with you. And I hope that you will listen carefully because this is a very important message for our church to hear. First, God is stirring us. God stirred King Cyrus, God stirred the people in the days of Persian Empire and called them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Today, God is continuing His stirring among His people because it is the same God. It is the same God in the, in the days of Persian Empire and it is the same God in the days of America in 2020 today. He is still stirring. He is still speaking. He is still inviting. He is still calling us to respond to Him. God continues to stir us today. But there are those who ignore and there are those who respond to it. Would you ignore it or would you respond to God? See, God is stirring our church to be a vibrant church of disciple makers in person or stay at home order. Whether we can come back here or we can't come back here, it doesn't matter. We will still continue to be a vibrant church of disciple makers. We just need to be creative. How can we be disciple makers when we are worshiping and serving in our respective home? But that call to our church, that vision, that mission is the same. And even in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic, the Lord of harvest will reap his harvest. Many hearts are open to the message of God, to the gospel. God moves, God stirs, and he calls you and me to come closer to him. See, it's like God is knocking on the door of your heart to receive him, to pray, to worship, to walk with him. He gives us the Holy Spirit to stir us, to convict us, to prompt us again and again. Did you feel that? He gives us the Bible to instruct us week after week. And is there a message that is tugging at your heart? Week after week that refused to go away is God's message for you. He breaks us by removing the idols of our hearts. What are the idols that you are confronted today that the Lord has revealed to you? And you are like, wow, it's hard. It's hard to let it go. I love it so much. I don't want to. But God is bringing that idols before you again and again and say, deal with it. Deal with it because I'm stirring you to be aligned with my will and be aligned with my purpose. He shakes up the whole world. The world that pushes God away has no concern for God, no interest in God. And suddenly, even the atheists are asking, where is God? How do we get out of this? Is there any hope? He brings back reality of life and death 
that we try to ignore in our daily life. The brevity of life, forcing us to ask, are we ready for eternity? Are we ready for the second return of Christ? Are you ready? He puts us in the midst of fear and panic to reveal our frailty. We thought we are strong. We thought we are indispensable. But the fear and panic reveal our frailty. The lockdown invites you to reflect and grow deep. See, you have a choice. Would you grow deep and reflect deeply as well? You see, when we are under stress for an extended period of time, we discover that we are tempted to seek pleasures and often at the wrong places. Did you feel that temptation as well? We discover how desperately we need community and how we long for in-person worship, in-person singing, in-person sermon. Because when we do it online, though wonderful, we are connected through technology but something is missing. That is not the new normal. The normal should be coming back here together in person and be able to worship together when it is safe to do so. God is stirring us. Is God stirring you? Do not ignore. Do not neglect. Do not pretend. Do not harden your heart like the Israelites. But respond to God's stirring and be aligned with God. Secondly, I want to ask you, what are you returning to? As we are preparing ourselves to emerge from COVID-19 pandemic, and hopefully when it's safe, we will be over it. What are you returning to? Returning to the pre-COVID-19 days? Right before? What would you be willing to give up in order to return to where God wants you to be? Isn't that what we should be as disciples of Jesus Christ, to do God's will, even if we emerge from COVID-19 pandemic, as hard, as difficult it was? Are we emerging back to the former glory or things as usual? How can it be the same when you have gone through such a trauma? See, people often experience post-trauma stress disorder when they are exposed to an extended period of trauma. We have gone through nine weeks of trauma, of pandemic, uh, of crisis, of COVID-19 crisis. And how can it be the same? It can never be the same. It's like someone who survived a major heart attack. You can't go back like things never happened before, like things as usual, can you? You see, a new lifestyle needs to be adopted. A new diet needs to be in place. A new habit needs to be cultivated. It's our responses to God. Let me ask. Crisis-driven is a spiritual revival. Crisis-induced. Only in the days of crisis, we pray more, we worship more, we sing more, we spend more time in small groups, we get connected more, because there's nothing else to do. There's no entertainment, there's no sports, we get bored, so, you know, we rather spend time in prayer and worship and getting connected with small groups. But when a crisis is over, is it sustainable? Will it continue? Remember 9-11 in 2001. It was a major, major crisis in our nation. It happened on a Tuesday. 
And if you remember, on the Wednesday, churches are open, prayer meetings are filled with people. Probably there was a record attendance of prayer meeting ever in the history of our nation. But you know what? After a month, two months, three months, the crowd gradually dwindled. They are dispersed. They move back to their routines and their life again. So I ask the same question again. Is whatever happening in our church right now, the prayer meetings on Wednesday night, more people join in, the worship, more hits on the sermons, is it crisis-driven, crisis-induced kind of a revival? Or actually, it is a purposeful, intentional commitment to place God as our priority, as our Lord, and we will continue to go that way because that is God's way. That is discipleship. That is being a disciple maker. We still long for prayer when vaccine is developed and we feel safe again. Would our prayer meetings be sustainable with the same number of people coming to pray together? Or it would just dwindle, just like post 9-11. You know, at one point in our church life, we pastors were shaken up. We were afraid that our church might be spiraling into a dark tunnel. Dark forces were inflicting us. The pain of discovering some sinful activities against our holy God alarmed us, pained us, humbled us, shaken us up to the core. We asked ourselves, what happened? And out of desperation, we began to pray for unity, purity, and ongoing revival. And you remember for a period of time, in the pastoral prayer, in the prayer meeting, you keep hearing the same phrase. We pray for unity. We pray for purity. We pray for ongoing revival of our church. We keep praying that unity, purity, ongoing revival of our church. And we invited many, many people and said, let's pray. Pray for unity. Pray for purity. Pray for ongoing revival of our church. And God brought us through by His grace alone. By His grace alone. In 2019, we were looking forward to 2020. We dream, we dream of the dedication of the new Mac, the 35th anniversary, the deacon's ordination. We dream of combining all this together in a grand celebration of praises and worship of our great God. Community groups begin to take shape. People begin to respond. Things begin to be aligned. And then COVID-19 hit us. We long to be disciple of Jesus by being a vibrant church of disciple makers. And yet he puts us through fire so that we can be stronger. You see, COVID-19 is a time of reflection. And it's a mid-course correction time for the church. Everything stopped. <laughs> As if God hits the pause key. Everything freezes except the most fundamentals of church life to sustain our spiritual life. Worship, God's Word, prayer meetings, small groups. That's all we had. All the other programs were stopped. 
I think God is saying to us today, church, pay attention to me. Learn and grow deep in me before you emerge from COVID-19 pandemic. Cultivate the spiritual disciplines that will help sustain your spiritual vitality when we emerge from COVID-19 crisis. And church, today I ask you to turn to God. Today I ask you to return to God in unity, in purity, in ongoing revival. Would you respond to God as the people of God responded to Him in Persia to be willing to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple? And before we return to the pre-COVID-19 state, would you obey? Would you be stirred? Would you be aligned with God? I'm going to invite you to pray together. Let's spend a moment before God in reflection. You know, it's a heavy message. It's a, it's a very transparent and straightforward message to you as a senior pastor. But I think I need to speak like that to you. Because that is the real condition of our church. That is where we are, waiting to reopen. But unless your heart is right with God, unless you prioritize God in your life, it will be things as usual. How can it be when we have gone through COVID-19 pandemic for nine weeks now? How can it be? It shouldn't be that way. Return to God in unity, in purity, and ongoing revival. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you will soften our heart to respond to the message. While everybody is worshiping in their respective home, maybe slump over on the sofa, some might still be on pajamas, Others might be eating breakfast while watching our worship online, almost like watching a TV program. And Lord, we know that as we continue to live that kind of a spiritual life, our hearts may not be there for you because we are distracted, we get bored. And online worship is just like a TV program. And how sad can it be when we come to that state? And today we ask you to, to be stirred by God, to the point where we will respond to you in unity, in purity, and in ongoing revival for our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now receive the blessings of God. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you. Have a great week.